you stand with me as I read from God's Word? I'm going to read our psalm for today, Psalm chapter 8. Psalm 8 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory before the heavens, or above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foes and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. And you made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and all that swim the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let us pray together as we begin our service. Father, we thank you so much for your word and how you speak truth into our lives. I pray, Father, that you would prepare our hearts to receive what it is that you have to say to us today. Help our hearts to be in a posture of worship. And we thank you for this time, Lord. We pray for your anointing over this time. Lord, we lift up LifeGate. We pray for Pastor Niles as he's preaching at this moment. And Father, as he's speaking, we want to lift up the hearts of those who are listening. And Lord, that your spirit would be at work drawing them unto the gospel and growing the people of that church and sanctifying them in your truth, which is the word of God. And Father, we pray for the same here, that our hearts would be in that posture of response. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. We want to praise your name today, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, this is an interesting week for me in that whenever I'm asked to speak in this setting, the Lord always gives me something to say. And he'll do it every time. And I'm so thankful for that because, like, I'm already enough of a fool up here. It's helpful when he gives me something to say. And in the process of that this week, I knew I was supposed to speak in just amount of days, and I, I didn't have anything. I'm like, surely the Lord will come through. He, he does every time. You know, Monday comes around and Tuesday and still nothing. I've got, I feel uh, what I need to speak on two weeks from now. I'm like, that's, that's very nice, Lord, but I don't, I don't have this coming Sunday. Help me, please. And, and Tuesday morning, <clears throat> um, I got a text message from Brian Gertis that his uncle wasn't doing very well. And so we made a decision Tuesday to go down to Carroll to see Elmer Gertis, which if you hadn't heard this week, Elmer passed away. And his services will be on Saturday as well in the Manson area. The details for these funeral services, we'll make sure we email out to you guys this week so that you know when things are happening. But Elmer was a part of this congregation for a number of years. And um, I thought, well, I'm not going to get to spend Tuesday afternoon trying to figure out what the Lord wants me to say. And I'm okay with that, though, because to me there's value in going and ministering to people. And I believe that if you're faithful to that, the Lord will provide these other things. And so I had this feeling that the Lord was going to give me my message on this trip. Okay, so hang with me on this. Brian, we go to Carroll, and I don't have anything yet, you know. The trip is over with, and Brian and I are headed back from Carroll back to Manson. And if you go north out of Carroll on Highway 71, there's a town called Mount Carmel that's just off of 71. 
And I jokingly said to Brian, hey, Brian, look, it's Mount Carmel, you know, just kind of joking. And we laughed, and then we, you know, and this is how guys ride in a car, you know. You can be silent for 10, 15 minutes, and it's totally fine. Can anybody relate to that? And then every now and then you might pipe, yeah, that's cool, or something, and then you're back to silence for another 15 minutes. And so there was time to think, and it was like the Lord said, that's what I want you to speak on. I want you to speak on Elijah. And a component of this message is going to be about Mount Carmel, but it's like God gave me the vision and said, I want you to talk about the mountain moments that he's had in his life, but I also want you to feature the valley. And recognizing that in our life, if you can attest to this, there's going to be moments where we're going to have some mountains, some amazing experiences where you can really sense that God was there and Wow, I mean, how could you deny the reality of who he is and his goodness and all of that? And then you flip the coin on that, and I think we can all relate to moments where maybe we've been in the valley. And we think, where is God right now? Like, I, I remember experiencing some of these things. I know he's real, but right now I just can't simply feel that. And I know the word says that he's with me, but I just... I can't muster that unction or that feeling that he's here. And it hurts and it stinks and I don't know where to go. And I mean, how many of you can attest to being in one of those two places, the mountain moments or the valley? Okay, two of you? All right. Okay. Apparently I'm not listening to the Lord and what he wants me to share. But I began to read through the the story of Elijah and where you see these moments in his life. And so I'm not going to read all of these chapters, but I want you to know that these are some places where these moments are found, and it's in 1 Kings 17 through 2 Kings 2. And so it's my hope that as I present to you what God's placed on my heart is that, you know, you take it from here and you get a chance to go home and dig in even further and highlight these things for yourself and, and get a strong understanding of Elijah and his life and the things that were taking place. And if you look in verse 1, right out the gate in 1 Kings 17, you see a, this sense of... Uh, power that resides with Elijah. Here's a man that essentially declares it's time to shut the rain off. And that's a big deal because it's not just going to be for one week or two weeks or a season. I mean, this is going to be for a long time. The rain is now gone. And imagine for Elijah calling that out and saying, it's no longer going to rain. I sense this of the Lord. And then over time, you begin to see it's not raining. Wouldn't that, I mean, in just our own human mind, if you did that, wouldn't you be like, wow, like, that's pretty cool, right? I've experienced this. And that's just a little tip of this entire iceberg of things that, that he gets to experience. Another one is there's a moment where he's getting provided food through ravens. Now, the situation's a little bit dire because I don't know about you, I like to pick out what I want to eat and sit down and begin to take part in this meal. But to think, as you're waiting for food, in fly these ravens, bringing you what you need every morning and every night. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, for like a day, Paul. I mean, it doesn't have to be for the next three weeks or something, but wouldn't you remember that? 
And you'd be like, wow, look at how the Lord cares for me and provides for me. Now, I look at that as a mountaintop moment because that's pretty cool. Ravens bringing me my breakfast. Ravens bringing me my evening meal. That God cares enough for me that he uses creation to supply my needs. Another one is he's in a situation where he needs food again and he ends up approaching a widow and asks for some food and she's like, I just don't have the resources for this. And he tells her, go and start making this and what happens is she now has a never-ending supply of the flour and the oil that's needed to bake bread. You imagine going into your kitchen and scooping out of your flour container and every time you go back, oh my goodness, there's more. You know, I mean, imagine that. Now, we can read through Scripture sometimes and just like fly right past that stuff, but put yourself in their shoes. A never-ending supply of flour and oil for this widow as she was faithful in providing one meal for Elijah. And he, he began to, to get fed from this widow through this season that he was in. See, he's experiencing the hand of God again. And in that same home, that widow had a son and that young boy passed away. And Elijah begins to cry over that boy and cry out to God that God would revive that boy. And guess what? That boy comes to life. Now, I don't know about you, but that'd be pretty memorable. That'd be very memorable. I've had moments where there's been somebody's body that's unconscious, and maybe they've been at this point in a very serious emergency situation and you just pray over them and there's a certain point where you step back and you let paramedics come in but you watch how God brings them back to life and man can look at that and say oh no man brought them back to life but you see I believe God is at work in the midst of all of that but I've seen those things happen and you're just like man look at how God showed up in this moment or this situation and then you get to Mount Carmel a few miles north of Carroll. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't think that's where it was. But this Mount Carmel experience, so there's these prophets and they're saying you need to worship this God called Baal. B-A-A-L, Baal. And in the process of all of this, Elijah, he's like a man standing out there all by himself. And he's saying, you know what, we're going to settle whose God is real. And so let's go up to this mountain and let's begin to ask God to come down to this altar and lick up this altar. There's a bull that we've cut up, not B-O-W-L, B-U-L-L. He is on the altar, and we are going to see if God will come and basically lick this altar up with fire. And so Elijah's like, you guys go first. And so they come out, and they start, like, dancing around the altar. There's even a point where it's not happening yet, so they start cutting themselves and, like, it's just kind of a weird thing going on, if you can imagine that. Nothing's happening, and there's a certain point where Elijah has seen God show up so many times, he just kind of stands back, and it's almost like he begins to chuckle to himself. Like, maybe you need to shout a little louder, guys. You know, I mean, he knows God, their God is not going to show up. Maybe you should dance. Or, and he, at one point he says, maybe your God's relieving himself. I mean, you know he's just kind of having a chuckle out of this. And they get done with their deal, and he's like, it's my turn. 
And so at this point, you know, he's got the altar set up, and they dig a trench around the altar, and he's like, hey, I need some people to bring in some water. And so they bring in four jugs of water, and they begin to just pour the water all over the altar and out into the trenches, and he's like, okay, that's good. Wait a second. Let's do that again, and let's bring in another round of these water jugs. And so they bring it in, and they pour it all over the altar, and and, you know, I think we're, wait a second, let's do it another time. And so there's just soaking this water. I mean, there's water everywhere, in the trenches, you name it. And Elijah begins to call on God in front of all of these people. And I want you to know it wasn't just the prophets that if God didn't show up, Elijah was good as dead. There was an audience there to watch this whole thing go down. I mean, people were like, what's going to happen here? And Elijah calls on God, and the fire comes down from heaven, and it totally licks everything up, including the altar. There's no more water in the trenches. I mean, totally gone. Now, what do you think all the bystanders thought? Like, oh, that was cool. Hey, who wants to, you know, go out to eat now? Anybody? Anybody? Is there any of that bowl left, you know, like, maybe we could have some steak or something? I mean, they were in awe and wonder of God Almighty. And Elijah basically at that point has all the authority in that mountain scene. And he says, the fate is sealed on these guys, and they are put to death, all of those prophets. And now he has King Ahab's attention. And as if that wasn't a cool moment, go back to one where he could turn the rain off at declaration. Now he begins a declaration, it's going to rain. And he tells Ahab, you better get going, buddy, because it's going to get really sloppy with all the rain that's coming. This isn't just a little, you know, shower or anything like that. It's going to rain. And so Ahab takes off in his chariots. And this was something really cool this week that, that just popped out to me is the Bible says, you know, you imagine wearing the kind of clothing that they wore. You know, if you're going to run, you pull up your cloak or your robe and you can run. The Bible says he, it's like he, Elijah pulled up his robe and he took off and he was running faster than the king's chariot of horses. I'm no runner, okay? And some of you maybe like to run, but like I can think of about a hundred million things that I'd like to do that are way more enjoyable than running. Amen, yeah, same, some of you, okay? And I, I, some of you are runners, I'm sorry if that offends you. But this guy was running faster than you could ever imagine in your own life. I mean, faster than the king's chariot. Experience that and tell me that's not cool. He beats the king back to the city. You have all these mountain moments. And once he gets back to the city, the king has a wife. And she's not happy. And I want you to now turn to 1 Kings 19. And I want to read to you... Uh, if you will, a moment where things change a little bit. Starting in verse 1, King Ahab got home and he told Jezebel everything that Elijah had just done, including the way that he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. And Elijah was afraid, and he fled for his life, and he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. And he sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed 
that he might die. And he cries out to the Lord and he says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. I mean, I just told you all the things that this guy has experienced in his life, and some of which was the night before. And now here he is in a cave and saying, God, I don't want to live anymore. This changed quickly. I'd say he's in the valley. He says, I've had enough and to take my life, and he seems hopeless. And as I was piecing this together, I just thought, you know, there might be somebody listening right now that you feel like you're in the same situation, a place of hopelessness, maybe even to the point of not wanting to live anymore. Maybe you can relate with Elijah, and I want you to really lean in right now to where we're at as we talk about the valley. If you continue with me in 1 Kings, starting around verse 5, the Bible says that he went to lay down and he slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. And he looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. You know, he was fed by ravens at one point and now angels are preparing his food. Think of the change. So he ate and he drank and he laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he came to a cave where he spent the night. And one of the first points I want to highlight here in the midst of the valley is that I want you to know that God still provides when you're in the valley. Elijah feels like there's nothing left. In his own estimation, I don't even want to live anymore. And yet God in the midst of the valley says, I'm going to provide you your needs, some food here, because you need to have the strength to continue walking in this valley. And so I want to encourage you to know that God provides for your needs. Jesus says this very clearly in Matthew 6. There's birds out there. They don't have a care in this life. How am I going to make my nest? How am I going to feed my young as I find a worm and all of that stuff? Oh, it's cold. I'm going to fly a different direction now. I mean, God provides for them. Don't you think he's going to provide for you? This is Jesus speaking to a crowd. He says the lilies out in the field, they come, they go. God provides what they need. And I want you to know if If God clothes them, don't you think he's going to clothe you with what you need? And then here's the application in that. If you seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, guess what? God's going to provide for every single one of your needs. Whether you're on the mountain or whether you're in the valley with your circumstances, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God will provide for your needs. Picking up in verse 10, The Lord said to Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. If you don't know what that means, he's got passion, zealous passion. I've got this passion in serving you, God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, 
torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets and I am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. And so God speaks to Elijah and he says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And Elijah stood there and the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain and it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake there was a fire but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And that voice began to speak to Elijah. Another thing you need to know in the valley is that God still speaks. And maybe you don't feel like he's speaking you're like, I don't understand why I'm in this situation, but I want you to know God still speaks. There's a number of ways that God speaks to us in the valley. The first one is very, very easy for me as a pastor to tell you. He speaks through his word. Get in your word. I mean, if you don't have this in the valley, good luck. This is going to give you strength. It's going to give you insight. Perspective can totally change the, your attitude when you're in the midst of the valley. And God's word gives us that. Another thing, as we walk through the valley, God can speak to us through people. How many of you have ever gotten a text message or a phone call or a card with a verse and it just so happened at the same time that you needed it and all of that stuff? I think God uses people to speak into our life when we're in the valley. But I want to be very clear. He uses them, and it must line up with his word. Because people can say all kinds of things to you in the valley that aren't lining up with Scripture. One of them being, just follow your heart. You know, what's your heart telling you? You know, just go after that. Oh, my goodness, that's, that's a recipe for disaster. The enemy would want you to try to listen to your own heart. But our heart is in conflict all the time with, with God's word. You need people in your life that are going to encourage you with scripture, but encourage you with truth. You know, sometimes we want the situation to go away for that person, so we say wishy-washy things that give them a false sense of assurance. Does that make sense? Sometimes we just need to take the situation for what it is and say, I'm going to be there with you. I want to encourage you with God's word. I want to pray with you. And I'm going to hope that this circumstance changes. I can't change that circumstance. I can serve you in this circumstance, but ultimately the change is going to come through God's hand. The other thing is God speaks through circumstances. Anybody ever had that before? Just circumstantially, things go down, and you're like, I think we have our answer here, okay? Again, has to line up with God's word. Sometimes circumstances can make you think one thing, but if it's not really what God desires, the enemy can cause you to think these circumstances are for a purpose. Does that make sense? You just got to really pray through those things. And lastly, from what we get in this passage, God's speaking through that whisper, that whisper, a gentle whisper, breaking that down, that's a still small voice, or a thin silence. 
quietness of that. As I'm walking through this, I ask questions like, are we listening? Are we taking the time to listen? In our culture, that's a big one. The other thing is, is do we desire to really hear? I think if you start to kind of walk that backwards is, do you have a desire to hear? Okay, then are you taking the time to listen? And then as you're taking the time, are you actually listening? Psalm 37, verse 7 says, to be still before the Lord. I felt like God, when I was putting this together, God told me to stop at that point and just be quiet. And for some of you, that was probably a really awkward moment. It was for me, standing up here. I'm like, what are they thinking? You know, like, Lord, you told me to do this. This is awkward for everybody. But that's just the point I'm trying to make. It's sometimes awkward. Sometimes it's just out of our nature. We've got to be doing something all the time. We've got to be hearing something all the time. We've got to be consuming some form of media. We've got to check our phone. We've got to be doing that. And what does it look like to actually just zip it, sit, and listen? Open up your word and start to see what God has to say. Be still before the Lord. We can bring our requests to God. We can thank God. We can cry out to God. How often are we still before him? Continuing on in verse 15, the Lord tells Elijah, I want you to go back the same way that you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive there, I want you to anoint Haziel to be the king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel. And I want you to anoint Elijah, the son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Mohalah, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Haziel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape from Jehu will be killed by Elijah. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. In the midst of the valley, God still tasks. He has things for you to do. And there's times in the valley where we say, I just can't. I don't want to do this. I, I mean, Elijah just told God, I've had enough. I want to die. And God's like, get up. You have a job to do. And there's purpose in that because you're going to anoint a future king. You're going to anoint, an, anoint another future king. And by the way, you're going to anoint your protege, which you may not even know yet. And in the process of that, Elijah realizes, I have something that I need to do even though I may not feel like I want to do it. And maybe you feel like you're in the situation. I just feel like I don't have anything in the tank to give because I'm in this valley. And I just want to tell you, if you keep putting one foot in front of the other, despite your fear, despite the risk, despite the valley, just stay on mission. 
because God has a purpose for you in the midst of the valley. And while you're there, he will provide, he will speak, and he's going to keep equipping you for the things he wants you to do. Stay on course. God is still God no matter our circumstances. Do you believe that? God is still God no matter your circumstance. That's a powerful video, that song. I know that's uh, one that over the years when you think about times where there's mountains and there's valleys, to recognize that God is still God. And we need to keep on mission. And I believe as you do that, eventually you're, you're going to experience some mountains again. Later on in Elijah's story, as he begins to pick himself up off the ground, if you will, and say, I've got a mission, and he begins to go out and do it, he begins to see this happening again. There's a moment where the king sends the guards out to capture him, and Elijah, I think he's just at the point where he's just like, Lord, if it be your will, throw fire down on him. And it happened. And he was able to, like, walk off from that. And there was another round of guards that came out to get him. Same thing. And then the third round, the guards came and they're like, hey, time out, you know, like, we've seen how this ends for us. Will you just come down and we can talk about this? And in the midst of Elijah's story, he, he encounters this man named Elisha. And they begin to travel together and doing ministry together. And there's a point where they're about to cross a river and Elijah takes his cloak like snaps the water, it separates, and they can part through the river. I mean, he's starting to experience these things again. God is showing up, and I'm watching this, and it's like you go up from those mountains, and sometimes you might have the valleys, but I believe the mountains will return. And there's a point where Elijah prays over Elisha, and this double blessing and double portion that's going to be passed on to Elisha from Elijah, his protege. And in the process of that, here comes this chariot of fire sweeping through the scene and off Elijah goes like a whirlwind up into heaven. Wow. And there's people that watch this go down and Elisha like picks up the, you know, the cloak, here we go, I guess, and let's try this out. He's back at that same river and... It parts, and he's, he's probably like, whoa. Like, he gets to start experiencing this now. And there's people that were watching that whole thing go down, and they, you know, they saw Elijah, and they start asking Elisha questions. They're like, we need to go find Elijah. I don't know where he went. We saw the whole thing go down, but we need to find him. And if you look in your Bibles, in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 16, these men, in their own understanding, tell Elisha like maybe he's on some mountain or maybe he's in some valley where's Elisha or Elijah excuse me where's he at he's in heaven he's not on this earth anymore and I think of the seriousness of that verse perhaps the spirits left him on a mountain or in a valley he is at a place that's so much better than any mountain he's ever experienced on this earth and it, it's just one of those things he never has to worry about that valley ever again he is in heaven 
And so wherever you're at today, and maybe you've had a mountaintop week, or maybe you've had some kind of valley week, I hope that this morning there's perspective that's gained, that God is with you, providing for you. He's here to speak to you, and he's here to give you a mission in the midst of the valley. But at the same time, always have that perspective, guys, that this life is temporary, and there's something that's so much better yet to come. The God on a mountain is still God in the valley, and he is our God in heaven. Are your sights set on heaven? And do you have your hope and the future that you need in Christ? Mountains and valleys, they come and they go in this life. Do you have the sustaining strength of Jesus Christ to walk every single one of them? He's here to help. He's available. Call out to him. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord, we want to recognize that you are God in every circumstance. And this morning, I want to help guide and lead anybody that has been listening to your voice and saying, God, help me in my journey. Maybe they found themselves in a valley and this message has been an encouragement to them. Lord, I pray that you would provide for them, that you would speak to them, and in the midst of that, equip them for the mission at hand. And maybe there's somebody here this morning that you feel like you're not walking in tune or in step with Christ. And God is speaking to you right now and saying, it's time. It's time to follow me. And if that's you in this moment, I just simply want to lead you in a prayer. And saying, God, today I want to submit my life to you. I'm done doing things on my own. I'm stuck in sin and my own ways. And today I want to surrender all of that to you and ask for forgiveness. And ask that you would come into my life. Make me a new person. Help me to live in a new direction of your ways walking in your spirit as I endeavor to follow you. I know that you're God in all circumstances, and I want you to be the God of my life, the one and only everlasting God. Come and save me today. With every head bowed, and I closed. If you just prayed that prayer with me, will you just simply acknowledge that by lifting your hand, affirming that I, I prayed that today. Just simply lift it up and put it right back down. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. This is a big decision. Today saying I've decided to follow Jesus. And so, Lord, help equip these people to do exactly that. Give them the grace to follow you in your ways. Help them to have a mission. 
guide them in that, Lord. As they're now a part of the kingdom of God, I pray that you would use them to further your kingdom. And we thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.